Welcome to Criminal Perspective. I'm Chris. And on this episode, I'm going to be joined by Kristen Pratt, who is a survivor of a very serious stalking incident several years ago, where a man named Patrick Michoni tormented her for years, uh, stalking her and cyber stalking her. Ultimately, he landed himself in jail. And the story is pretty crazy and pretty scary. And Kristen is going to tell us her story and then give some tips and resources on what to do if you're being stalked. So before that, I'm going to play one of the videos, one of the many videos sent to her by Patrick Michoni, and you can see how frightening this guy was. Then we'll take a quick break, and I'll be back, joined by Kristen Pratt. But before we go to break, here's the audio from one of the videos that Patrick Michoni sent to Kristen when he was stalking her. Hi, guys. Listen very carefully, please. I've fought for my life before. I've almost died. I've been put in a position uh, where you can't even move your limbs. I know what I'm... Oh, man, please just listen to me. I never wanted to be mean or say anything mean. You're both little girls. Please just listen to me and let me be nice. We need to talk face to face or I'm going to be dead in two days. Please. Try to be nice to her. I only want ever wanted to be. That's the only thing I ever tried or wanted to do. And it's only her. I know she's a little girl and she doesn't know how to act. I don't care. It doesn't matter. It doesn't give her the right to ignore me. I'm gonna be dead in two days. Please, please hear me to my face, so I don't kill myself. Please. Oh my God, please. I know. You're both little girls. Neither of you know. Neither of you know anything important. Life or death. Neither of you know. Please hear me to my face. If you would have met me at the Greyhound station and went to the hospital, like I said, instead of meeting me with police officers, it would have been good by now. Anyway, please, guys. I fought for my life before. Please. This isn't a game. I'm going to die in two days if you don't hear me to my face. I apologize for my anger, but Kristen, you put it there. Everything anger that I've ever said is only because of you. You told me the worst things anyone could ever say when I was only offering good things. When I fought for my life and kept myself a good, happy person, and tried to be one to you. And what did you say to me? You said, you are nothing. And then you said, I have no respect for you. You don't know anything, Kristen. Please, please just see me to my face, or I'm going to be dead. I'm begging you with my entire life to see me to my face so that I don't kill myself. Kristen, please. You don't know anything. I don't care anymore. It's over. Just please see me to my face. So I guess we'll start at the beginning, huh? Yeah, yeah. Let's let's start at the beginning. Tell me about Patrick Michoni and how he came to be in your life. 
So I had a class with Patrick Michoni during dual enrollment. And for people who don't know what dual enrollment is, it's where you are a high school student, but you take high school and college classes to get credit for both um, and or college classes, I should say. And so we had an English class together, but I never even like I don't even think I said two sentences to this kid. And so this is back in 2005 or 2006 that we had this class together. I graduated high school in 2006 and I went to UCF, the University of Central Florida. And at about late 2006, early 2007, that was probably like the second half of my freshman year, I got a message on Facebook and it was from Patrick and he was basically just being super nice, just Almost as if you just wanted to connect. You know, you get messages like this all the time from people, especially back when Facebook was so new, because it wasn't just some Miranda people usually messaging you, it was people you knew. And so I did, I guess you would say I technically knew him because we had class together, but generally I didn't know who he was. You, You had no relationship with him. I had no relationship with him, exactly. I answered him back and he answered me back and in about three or four messages, we were very cordial. And just like you were messaging someone you had just met or knew but didn't know very well. Yeah. Then after about three or four messages back and forth, he started getting weird, like really freaking weird. Well, what was he saying that was like that was so off-putting? So they were in content and also the way he typed them. So I would get messages that were maybe one sentence and I would get messages that were three paragraphs and they were coming in like minute after minute, not even just, oh, two messages a day or something. No, it was like all day, every day I was getting these messages. This isn't stuff that made you feel threatened or anything. This is just things that made you feel uncomfortable, right? Well, some of them made me feel uncomfortable. And then I'd say it only took about two or three days before they got to threatening because I wasn't answering him. Wow. So the first first few days they were like, I am a lizard. I sit on a bench and I see three women walk past me and two want my sperm and one wants to be my wife. And I'm reading this and I'm just like, what is this man talking about right now yeah what is happening here so i already knew that something was off and so i kind of ignored it because you think oh if you ignore it it might go away but right. it didn't go away so then he started going on um now re- realizing realized these messages didn't stop after a few days they just kept going for months and months how, how many messages would he send you a day Ooh. Well, I guess I could put it to you like this. When I went and got my injunction, I went with 500 pages, each one with two messages each, and they were from just a few days in January. Wow. So in a few days, I got a 1,000 messages. So I'd say on average... And you're not responding to any of these. No. Nope. So on average, about three or 400 messages a day. So he's literally just sitting at the computer doing nothing, just sending me messages. Yeah, so he was going at it. Facebook back then, when you heard somebody tell you, don't put your phone number on Facebook, you were like, 
eh, whatever. Yeah, I'm not going to put my address on Facebook, but phone number, I can kind of control that. I know, you know, nobody's going to find me by my, by my phone number. So I still had my phone number on my Facebook, and he called me in one four-hour shift at Lazy Moon, because I worked at Lazy Moon and Bubblegum Shrimp Company in Orlando. One four-hour shift, he called me 42 times. He left me a lot of messages, and most of those messages were just him breathing on the phone. So I knew something was up at this point, and after that four-hour I mean, yeah, after that shift, after that four-hour shift, when he had called me all those times, I called the cops. That shift ended at about 3 o'clock in the morning. So when I called the cops, I could understand, like, I could understand if they were less than enthused to come to my house and deal with something like this. I mean, it's an early morning shift for them, at least. And I was just getting home. They arrived at my house at about 4.30, 5 o'clock in the morning. So it was early. And I got a woman cop, and she told me that there was nothing they could do because he didn't know how to present physical harm to me. So at that point, I knew he was coming to Orlando and hitchhiking just to find me. So he he wasn't living in Orlando at this time? No, he wasn't. He was living in Lutz, Florida, and he, as far as I knew, was a student at University of Florida in Gainesville. So he was probably between those two places quite often. But he was coming to Orlando via bus, carrying his bike in tow, or, I guess, cars. I'm not really sure how he was getting there. But but he would find a way to come to Orlando, and this is specifically just to see you. Yes, yes. And I think this was before uh, he started making YouTube videos. So I didn't know exactly how close he was getting to me at that point. So at the time that I called the police officer, I said, yes, but look, these messages specifically say that he's coming to Orlando to look for me. These messages specifically say that he does want to present bodily harm to me. How is there nothing you could do? Yeah. Turns out later on, I found out that there was probably something she could have done, but Not every cop, as we know, knows every law. Right. They really should because that's their job, but they don't. So I went back inside my house and I decided I was going to have to keep myself either safe or make sure that if I was not safe and I did get attacked or died or whatever, that the police knew exactly who it was and it was easy for them to find. So I went on and I put I screenshotted everything. I recorded a screen like I took preview or that um what's that app? Uh photo booth. I took my photo booth app and I played my messages on my phone to record onto um photo booth and save those. I did everything I could and I put it into a file that said, Please look here in big waters because I was like I want to make sure they know exactly, as soon as they open up my computer, they have a line of sight where to go first. Yeah. And so I just started collecting everything. And when he started doing YouTube videos, I downloaded a YouTube ripping app called TubeSock. And I just ripped every YouTube video he put on there. Screenshotted all of the YouTube messages he sent me. Literally just seemed everything. Everything. So that's how it basically started. 
And then he started making YouTube videos, like I said, and those were nuts. Yeah, hold on. Let's let's talk about the YouTube videos because I've seen clips and it really, really is absolutely fucking terrifying. If I was you in your position, I would have been scared shitless. Yeah, yeah, they were they were really scary. Um, some of them were just weird and creepy, yeah. but some of them got really scary. So I talk about stalking, my experience with stalking, and how my experience with police affected me and how we could kind of bridge that gap between stalking victims and the police and how they mm-hmm. police need to handle stalking victims in those interactions. I talk about that as my job. So now I go and I talk to law enforcement and I talk to college students on how, depending on who, it, who my audience is, is my messaging. So in each of those, though, I show a video where Patrick, for eight minutes, videotapes himself touching himself over his pants. And you can see a clear outline. I don't play the whole thing for eight minutes. I just show them that it's eight minutes. But I let them sit there for about a minute so that they can feel how very, very, very uncomfortable it is to have that happen to you. That was just one video. There's another video where he's almost yelling at me the whole video to look him in the eyes. And he talks about communication. Then there's another video where he takes the name of one of my friends and acts like he's a sergeant in the military. And he's in the middle of a bunch of just foliage. It's a bunch of greenery. Which I think when I see it, I think is right outside my job when I worked at Outback. Because after I quit lazy when I worked at Outback and Bubba Gum Shrimp Company. Uh, and I found out about all of his messages from the jump. Because he went into my Facebook friends and sent a message A through Z to my Facebook friends. Telling them that if they know who I am, to let me know that I should watch these videos. So I was getting, like, flooded by my friends, like, this guy's probably going to kill you. I've watched these videos. What's going on? How long did these YouTube videos go on for? They went on for, I'd say, probably about two years. Really? And, and, And nothing was happening? Police weren't doing anything? So, I mean, all you can do is just watch these videos and hope that this man doesn't fucking attack you? Basically, yeah. So... I started making myself very widely available to my friends on social media, which sounds like the worst thing you could possibly do. But I thought to myself, listen, if I check in on Foursquare, my friends will know where I where I was last. So whether he sees it or not, if he wants to find me, he's going to find me. Like, yeah. But if he sees it and he attacks me, at least my friends know where I was within a certain time frame. So if I do go missing, they can help me. So to me, I was like, it's a double-edged sword, but I would rather my friends know where I'm at at any given time in case I go missing than for them to not know where I was at. Yeah. I know those first 24 hours are crucial. I made myself pretty readily available. I also, like I said, started saving everything, everything. And I just... I. Just didn't want to leave it to the police anymore because I, I realized how 
little the police would know about the situation because it's cyber stalking. During this time, how many times had you contacted the police? I contacted the police once, but I also went in to get an injunction after he showed up to my my job at Outback. So he showed up at, at Outback and we had him on security tape. I went and got the injunction the next day. The injunction was easily granted to me. The cop, uh, the judge gave it to me within like two hours. Um, well, it was temporary. It's a temporary injunction. Uh, for people who don't know, you go in in Florida and you just kind of write what happened to you and then you present your evidence, which is what I did. And I had a CD of YouTube videos that I'd ripped and then all of his, like from the past couple of days, all of his messages. She or he, the judge said, yep. We're going to grant you that temporary injunction. When you have an injunction, you can modify it or amend it with more evidence. So I went to go do that. And when I did that, the people at the injunction office sent me one place. And then those people sent me another place. And then those people sent me another place. And then those people sent me the original place that I went to. So it was just like a big circle. And... That in combination with how I had experienced the police prior, I was just like, I'm never going to get help. My thinking was just, it was never going to happen. I'll get this injunction and it'll be enough, hopefully. And I'll just have to live my life like I have a stalker for the rest of it. Which, I mean, granted, I still kind of live my life that way anyway. But yeah, so I... I had only contacted the police once, but really that that one time really left a sour taste in my mouth. And then anything after that was kind of like, well, you're not helping me. And it's only reinforcing my idea that you're never going to help me. I saw somewhere that you were changing your appearance every few months to try and avoid him, I guess, recognizing you or I mean, that's so crazy that it got to that point that you had to alter your life so that this guy was not as threatening or, I mean, I guess that's what the point of it was. Yeah. So actually, while you were saying that, I did remember that I did actually contact the UCF police. I don't know why. Uh, well, I do know why that connection was made in my head just now. But uh, yeah, so I was changing my appearance quite frequently. I was cutting my hair or letting it grow. I was changing the color of it quite frequently. Um, I was always changing it. I mean, as much in as in as much as you can. Like, I wasn't getting those jobs every five days, but I was definitely changing what I could. Yeah, I remember that was because I was seeing him on UCF campus, so I knew he was going to UCF and looking for me. So I was like, "Well, what's the best way to kind of be incognito?" And that mm-hmm. was. That was my thinking because, yes, UCF is a big school. It has a huge population. But my major only had 125 people in it, and I was going to the same classes all the time. And it's just a simple matter of pattern. If you see somebody who looks like me and they go to the same area every time you're at the same area, you're going to recognize that pattern. It's just human nature. But I had gone to the UCF police at – at that point when I saw him on campus and they issued a trespassing warrant, which really doesn't do much if a person who is trespassing doesn't know about it. And also 
for the campus, UCF is huge. It's a huge campus. So when I did get that trespassing warrant, I would call them when I would see him on campus. And by the time they got... They could never find him. He was gone. Yeah, exactly. Um, So that happened a few times. And they did call in the Orange County police. And Orange County police called his number that I had. And they left him a message that firmly just stated, listen, stop. Yeah, leave her the fuck alone. (laughs) That's all they could do. That was all they could do. So I was still seeing him on campus. He didn't care about any of that. that. None of that scared him. And we found out why later. It was because in the court, we found out when they gave him the psychological evaluation, he had what's called erotomania. And that meant that no matter what, he thought that anything I said or did, if I said no or don't or stop, that meant I was testing his love. So I wanted him to keep pressing on. That's what it was like in his head. So none of that, none of it mattered. Yeah. <laughs> it did not matter what I did. Basically, what when I said, please stop contacting me, it was all a formality for legal reasons. And I didn't know it, that at the time. But looking back on it, it wasn't helping any. The only purpose it served was when we did go to court, it showed that I did ask him multiple times to stop contacting me. I did everything I could. I did everything by the book. And it basically served no purpose to stopping him at all. (laughs) And even the legal branches that I thought were there to serve and help me uh, couldn't do very much. So basically, you're just lucky that he didn't harm you. It's not that the stuff was keeping him from harming you. It's just that he never did. So if there's somebody in your position that has the similar scenario, I mean, there's nothing really stopping them from actually harming the person that they're stalking. Yeah. I mean, I say it all the time. An injunction is just a piece of paper. Well, you can go to court and the judge can say, don't touch this person or don't talk to this person or don't contact this person for 10 years. I think that's the most you can get. But at the end of the day, there really is nothing stopping them from showing up and hurting you, especially when when you need a cop in seconds, they're minutes away. And you have to remember that they are. I mean, it's not. It's not their fault. It's just in the time it takes for someone to hurt you, you can't even get a phone call into the cops at that point. I mean, it could be just a split second. Essentially, for someone like yourself who's being stalked, there's no prevention really from the legal side. It's just consequences. So it's all after the fact. I mean, so what what fucking good is that? Yeah. I mean, you still want to do it because... You still have the chance to, like, I, yes, I was lucky, but I was also careful. Yeah. I also made sure that we did things by the book, like I said, but I was watching out for myself. Mm-hmm. Um, there were times where he came very close. I was parked at Outback, and the bushes, there are, like, a bunch of bushes that lined up against the parking lot where employees parked. So my car was facing these bushes and it was just like a little bit of grass and bush. And he hopped out of the bushes 
and started yelling and coming towards me. And I just ran into the building. So it's a little bit of luck and a little bit of just trusting your instincts and doing yeah. what you know is best for you. Like I probably could have sat there and argued with him or stayed there. But my fight, my fight or flight went, no, get in that building right the fuck now. So I did that. So, yeah, I mean, I'm not gonna, I'm not going to toot my own horn and I'm not going to give myself a lot of credit. But you do have to give yourself a little credit and say, all right, I need to trust my body, my fight, my fight or flight and my instincts, because it does. It all comes from your gut. And there were times that I felt he was around. I don't know if that makes sense, but it was just like an instinct that I knew he was there. I turned around and he was. Wow. And that's how you just trust yourself. But yeah, it's a lot of luck too. It is. And that's what's really shitty because cha- laws have changed for sure. Laws have definitely been changed since my case and a few other cases. Florida has probably one of the most in-depth cyber stalking laws in the country and florida was one of the first states to have cyber stalking laws and then a lot of states followed and now it's i mean there's still some states that don't have it it's kind of built into their stalking laws but the problem is is that the stalking laws right now and as they were then are really hard to try somebody on. Even even if you have all the evidence, like in your case that you did, where you collected everything and had accounts of in, in records of all the videos, phone calls, messages. And I mean, is it still hard to convict him under stalking laws, even with all all of that? Well, yeah. Um, he was facing forty one years in prison when I was in court, and he got two years of time served, and he only served a year and a half. So he didn't really serve that time. He didn't get tried. And the judge even looked me in the eye and said, Miss Pratt, you are not going to be happy with this verdict. That's what he said to me. And I was just like, yeah, no, I'm not happy with this. Are you crazy? Like, and I wasn't even asking. Honestly, I didn't want him to go to prison. I wanted him to get help. And to me to have him go, all right, he gets two years of time served and also 15 years ankle monitor and that's it. I'm like, that's not going to help the situation. And I even said that in the trial. I said, he needs medical help. If you hear his lawyer say he has erotomania, which is a form of schizophrenia, and he's refusing to take his medicine, what is two years with time served or 42 years in prison going to do for him? Nothing. He needs help. And I don't give a shit if he comes back or if he doesn't come back. I care about what he's going to do to somebody else who doesn't know he did this. So I basically took it in my own hands and now I talk about it. That's what I do. Yeah. So so let's back up. How did he get arrested and charged? woo That's a fun one. Okay. So to kind of get the scope of how it how much it took to get him arrested and how much like you said, luck plays a part in all of this. He broke the injunction by going to a, a coffee shop that was right outside of UCF. I think it's called Natura, Natura Cafe. And he had videotaped himself at this, uh, at this coffee shop and posted on YouTube. And the video, basically, he's just saying, listen, I'm going to be here. 
and I'm going to be here for a while. You can come and talk to me, and you should come and talk to me. And he had, like, people on that camera that I knew at that coffee shop going, KP, why don't you talk to this guy? Like, they didn't realize who he was. And was that was that a place that you frequented? Yeah, I went there all the time. It was right across the street from UCF. Right outside, it turns out, of the jurisdiction for the UCF trespassing. And so he was like, I'll be here all all night. And so he posted that on YouTube. And I called, I was working at Outback, and I called my boyfriend at the time. And my boyfriend at the time basically stalked the stalker. He went there parked his car and just watched Patrick at Natura Cafe and made sure he didn't leave. And then when my shift was over, I called my boyfriend at the time and he was like, yeah, I'm still here. Come through. Because I thought that was a violation of the injunction. So I parked at the Applebee's that was in the same parking lot and I called the police. The police came and they could not find my injunction in the system. Well, it turns out I took that injunction when I got it and I copied it and I put it in my boyfriend's car's glove compartment, my glove compartment, my best friend's glove compartment, my best friend's house, my boyfriend's house, my boyfriend's parents' house, my jobs. Like it was everywhere I knew it was going to be. And so I whipped that shit out so quick (laughs) and I was like, no, I have it. It's right here. You can look it up. So they looked it up and oh, you know what? I'm totally forgetting a really important part of this conversation. He showed up at Outback after the injunction. He showed up at Outback and he did break the injunction and we had it on camera. And when the police showed up, he was gone. So we showed them the security footage. This was before this cafe situation happened. Yeah. We showed him the security footage and they issued a warrant. Because they had proof that he was there and he was breaking the injunction. I thought that was enough. So fast forward to the Outback, not even two weeks later. and uh, Not at the, the, fast forward to the Applebee's, I'm sorry. Not even two weeks later, that cop who said I didn't have an injunction, showed him the injunction. And I was like, he has broken the injunction. There is a warrant out for his arrest. He is right there. Put that man in freaking handcuffs. The police looked it up. He, his warrant was pending, which means it hadn't been seen by a judge yet. I had no clue that was a thing. Um, and so it wasn't actually a warrant. It was a pending warrant. It has to go through a judge. A, a cop can't just issue that. Right. And so basically the cop was like, sorry, we can't do anything. And so I called uh, my boyfriend and I said, listen, uh, we have to go home. We have to go home. So we went home, and I had work at uh, Bubba Gump's the next morning. So I went to Bubba Gump's, and I'd say when, within an hour of my shift, I got a phone call on my cell phone from a number. I didn't answer it because I didn't recognize the, answer, uh, the number. And I checked my messages, and it was Sergeant Mark Conway of the Seminole Police. Apparently, after I went home, Patrick rode his bike to the neighboring apartment complex. And he was wearing all black, which is what he usually does. And he was on his bike and they had a surge of robberies for cars and apartments. So he, Sergeant Mark Farmway was serving like a volunteer shift and he saw Patrick and 
arrested him on loitering and fouling. Before he arrested him for loitering and fouling, he had pulled, basically pulled him over on his bike and said, listen, what are you doing here? What is your business? Patrick was acting weird, so he checked Patrick's bag. In that bag, there was a knife, sex toys, and a video camera with videos of Patrick addressing me and talking to a Kristen Pratt. And this is the day after that he was sitting at the cafe where you hung out waiting for you? This was the same night. He left oh my gosh. and went to that apartment complex, I guess, to find a place to sleep or something. And that's when Sergeant Mark Conway pulled him over, found this stuff in his bag, found the videos, looked up my name, somehow found my injunction when the cop just hours before could not find my injunction, found my injunction and said, holy crap. This girl is going to die. This guy is trying to kill her. He called me that next day, and that's when I got that phone call. And so I sat in the back office at Bubba Gum Shrimp Company and talked to Mark Conway about all of the things. I told him about the YouTube videos, and as soon as I told him about YouTube videos, he was like, wait, there are YouTube videos? And I said, yeah. He goes, I'm going to go check those out real quick, and I'll call you back. So he checked them out. He called the state attorney, Michelle Latham. And he called me and he goes, this guy's going to kill you. And I was like, yes, that is what I've been trying to say for four freaking years. I've been trying to get somebody to hear me. This man is going to kill me. And uh, he goes, hold on. I've called my um, friend at the state attorney's office. Her name's Michelle Latham. She's going to give you a call. And then not even, I'd say 20 minutes later, Michelle Latham called me and said, this guy is going to kill you. And I was like, yeah. Now, now people are getting it. Oh, somebody's hearing me. So I was like, what is the next step here? Where do we go from here? Well, because he was arrested for loitering and prowling, he had the chance to get bailed out. So Michelle Latham said, listen, we're going to basically try and get that bail up so that the people who would give him his bail, maybe his parents, maybe his friends, are less likely to give it to him because it's so high. So we went to that, and they upped the bail, but his parents did bail him out. Now, the question I always get often is, like, do you think his parents knew the whole time? I don't think his parents knew at all what was happening, because when he got out of the jail cell for that loitering and prowling situation, he made a YouTube video that said, Orlando police just let me go. They just let me go. Why would they do that? Why Why they just let me go? And uh, I obviously knew why, because he made bail. But within about three or four days, that bail had been revoked. And so I'm pretty sure his parents didn't realize he was making these videos and stalking me. And then they did realize. And they said, we got to revoke this guy's bail. Because they revoked it. Um, and then he was back in court and that's when the ball got rolling. We started setting up this court case against him for stalking. And so we went to the, we went to trial. There were a few times we went to trial. First time we went to trial, he stood up in the middle of my testimony and screamed, I want my plea bargain now. And the judge is like, that's not how this works. So the judge deemed him incompetent after talking to him. Had to go get a mental evaluation and all that. Mental evaluation. So for like a year, I got these letters every day, uh, every month that said, hey, we're going to trial this month. 
And then I would get a phone call right before we were supposed to go to trial. It said, no, he's deemed incompetent to stand trial again. So for like a year I had that happen. And then we went to trial. And it was crazy because Good Morning America had picked it up by then. And so they were in the uh, the audience, in the in the courtroom. <laughs> in the courtroom. The audience of the courtroom. All yeah. local news had picked it up at that point. So it was kind of crazy. And then that's just, it just exploded from there. And I, I think that if it hadn't, got it it wasn't picked up for changing of judges which is the kind of the catalyst for it to get picked up by national news if we didn't change judges it wouldn't have gotten the attention that it got and I would not be speaking on this probably in the capacity that I speak on it today so yeah I definitely would not have found out about this case I mean because I found out about it from a major news source so and 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 we you're from Orlando. I live in Orlando. I, I mean, and I, and I still had no idea. Yeah, it's nuts. And it's more than what we can put into words in just an hour or two. Oh, yeah. It's very unique in, in that regard. I mean, you don't see a lot of these cyber stalking stories that are I mean, this guy was legitimately fucking threatening and terrifying. And you're right. He was going to kill you. I can't imagine anyone would think any different. So now you speak on stalking. You, you've you learned about stalking. I believe you teach police officers. Yeah, I go to um, trainings with police officers and judges and victim advocates on the laws. And depending on what state they're in, I'll have, you know, I, I usually have to do some uh, research on that. But the laws and how to communicate with stalking victims because basically the way I was treated by the first cop, by, the, by that first police officer dictated my trust and my um, willingness to work with police officers for the rest of the time yeah. that, I, that I had to go through this ordeal. And had I been treated differently, my experience would have been much different. And so I found that that was probably the first place to start in talking to these people. And seriously, I can't tell you every time I go to these trainings, cops, victim advocates, the people that do this for a living, they, they're they just, their minds are boggled. And they go, we never even realized the type of things that we do when we interact with these victims that we ne- we need to change. And I'm like, that's why I'm here. For people listening, what are some things that you would generally put out there to keep people safe if they're in a similar situation? So I always start telling people to, if, they're, if they feel like they're being stalked or cyber stalked, to start developing ways that will help you gather your proof. Because when a cop approaches you, they are most likely not, I mean, I do a lot of work, but there's only so much work I as a single person can do. So most likely they're not aware of the stalking or cyber stalking laws in your city or state. So a simple Google search, if you feel like you are being stalked or cyber stalked, definitely look up your laws. Then, depending on those laws, you should be able to figure out a way to start gathering proof. Because most cops will want to be like, well, he doesn't, or she, doesn't have a way of communicating with you or contacting you in a way that will harm you, which is really 
at the base of those laws. So if you can prove that they are or they can, you miles ahead of not doing that. So that's where I would always start. Then most states have domestic violence coalitions that also work for stalking victims. So if you Google your state's domestic violence coalition, you should be able to get some great resources there as well. Not only someone who is a victim advocate who can help you emotionally, but who will be able to help you navigate the laws in your state if you don't understand them, or even think about ways, creative ways to help you that you might not think about. They are there to support you. That's their whole goal. And so that would be my second place to look. I'm also very willing to help anybody who wants to contact me. I'm available through Facebook. I am available through Instagram at that's me, KP, K-A-Y-P-E. I'm very easy to find. And that's by design. And a lot of people will send me messages telling me that shouldn't be the case. But... (laughs) What do they know? Another five hours of storytelling I can get into, but yeah, but I am very easily um, contacted, so I'm always willing to help in the capacity that I can help. That's not always a lot because, again, I only know so much, and this is my job, training police officers and talking to college students, but I am not a trained victim's advocate, which is different than what I do. So um, I'm always willing to talk and and lead someone to the right direction, which is what is, you know, the first step in that help. Yeah. That's where I would start. That is definitely where I would start. Never, don't hear my story and think that you won't have help from the police if you call them. You just have to be able to help the police help you. But I also think that you should also, like I said, talk to your victim advocates at those domestic violence coalitions because they will be your first line of defense. Honestly, they are going to help you probably quicker and easier than a cop is going to be able to help you. Man, this is this is valuable stuff. I if if I get stalked, I'm pretty confident now. I think I think I can handle it. <laughs> Yeah, I mean, there's also a bunch of apps like record everything. I can't, oh, I cannot state that enough. Save and record everything because when you go to trial, that's what they're going to want to see. So that's the biggest thing. Gotta have, gotta just remember, like, you just kind of have to think outside the box. Like, how can I protect myself? You know, if you think that means putting a knife in your in your Doc Martens and walking around with that, do that. I did it. Trust. I did it. <laughs> I still do it. Yeah. Not in my Doc Martens because it's very uncomfortable, but I carry a knife in my purse. This hasn't been an issue for, for a little while for you, but I mean, are you always going to have him in the back of your head? Oh, yes, for sure. Um, so every house I've ever lived in, I've demanded, if I rented it, I demanded a alarm system be put in. We, I actually moved out of an apartment before I bought my house because the gates to the apartment didn't work and anybody could come in and out. The whole reason why I moved there was for the gate. Um, and I was like, yeah, 
I don't feel safe here. <laughs> it's just too easy to get access to me. Um, and with my house, it's a diff- if I live in a house, it's a little bit of a different story. But in apparent, people come and go. There's thousands yeah. of people. I don't want to say thousands, but a good number of people live in the apartment complexes, and they have guests all the time. So it's kind of hard to keep track of who's coming and who's going. If it's my house, I know who's coming and who's going. But I've always had an alarm system in, in my house as well. Um, and I definitely park closer. So this is something that a lot of people don't think about. But I will get uh, a spot closest to the door that limits the amount of time that I'm out of my car to a to the door of the Target or to the door of the Walmart or the supermarket um, simply because that means I have less time to be attacked between those two two places. And so when I go out by myself, I will spend 10, 20 minutes looking for a parking spot that's as close to the door as possible because I'm not trying to park all the way in the back, you know? It, it seems like such a small thing, but that's like a huge fucking effect on your life now you have to drive around and worry about where you park and and shit like that people don't think about that type of stuff when it comes to people in your situation i never would have thought that oh yeah Kristen has to go uh drive around for 45 minutes because she has to park as close to the door as she can because she was fucking relentlessly stalked for years i mean like who who thinks about that stuff you know i mean it, it does and those are like the little things i could count you know i could give you a bunch of examples on how that how my life has changed, but it's become so ingrained. That's the weird thing too. It's become so ingrained in my life that I don't even think of it as something that is different now. Yeah. It's not abnormal to you anymore. It's just how it has to be. Yeah. Like I don't even realize like I have Max, my fiance drive me and take me places every day just because I feel safer being in a body system. And (laughs) that's so it's just every day for me. And it's just like, that's just how we are. And not a lot of people would probably prefer to spend, you know, get picked up by their fiance to go somewhere. They could just drive to, by themselves, yeah. you know, yeah. <laughs> but now uh, it's nature for the both of us is just how we live our lives. That's so crazy. Um, yeah. So let's go ahead and wrap this up. You were absolutely wonderful to talk to and thank you so much for doing this. I very, very much appreciate it. And I'm sure a lot of people will find value in this. I hope so. I really do. And I, like I said, always feel free to contact me, you and anybody who's listening. Um, I will try and help as best as I can. That's what I set my life mission. That is my life mission. And I just want to help people in this situation as much as I possibly can. So awesome. Thank you. (laughs) Well, thank you.